amazing senior pastors are away ministering this weekend. We've got Pastor Sean in Melbourne at Numa Church. And then Pastor Linda is actually speaking at a church in Mount Isa. In fact, they've both been at Mount Isa this week because they welcomed their newest little grandson, Winston Robert Stanton, into the world. And so next time you see them, please congratulate them on their new baby grandson, Winston. Well, who's excited to get into the Word this morning? I am as well. Come on, why don't we pray together? Lord, we just thank You that we are in Your presence. God, we are so humbled that we are in the presence of the Almighty God. And Lord, Your Word says that Your invisible attributes, Your eternal power, Your divine nature has been perceived since the creation of time, but since the beginning of time. And so Lord, I just pray for a fresh revelation of Your divine nature, a fresh revelation of Your eternal power. Lord, may we understand again that You are not a natural God created by man, but You are a supernatural God, Lord, that existed before the beginning of time. And so we ask that You have Your way in this place. We give You all honour, we give You all glory. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you who don't know, I grew up in a Christian family. And so I grew up going to kids church. Now, Sunday school back then or kids church was very different back then to what it is today. And I have two distinct memories of my time in kids church. First one being that I had a very interesting teacher who never stuck to the curriculum. She never stuck to the curriculum that the kids pastor would give her. She made up her own activities. And to say these activities were unique is an understatement. I will never forget, she got all the kids to line up or sort of be in a big circle and she put a rubbish bin in the middle of the circle. And then she each gave us, she gave us each a piece of paper and she asked us to write our sins on the piece of paper. So of course, being seven years old, I'm looking at everyone trying to see their sin. And so we're writing it down and I just assumed she'd ask us to scrunch it up and put it in the bin, you know, symbolising that we are done with our sin. But no, she asked us to scrunch up the piece of paper and put it in our mouth. So then we had to chew our sin. We had to chew this piece of paper. And then on the count of three, she said, on the count of three, I want you to run to the rubbish bin and spit your sins out. And so all of these kids, about 20 of them ran into the middle and were just spitting this these sins and pieces of paper everywhere. It was the most disgusting and messiest experience that I've ever been a part of. So I can't say that it's my most treasured memory. But the other memory that I have of Kids Church, and this one I do treasure, is that nearly every week we would go through the topic of faith. We would open up the book of Hebrews and we would go through that famous chapter 11 in Hebrews. We would learn that by faith, Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. By faith, Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. By faith, Noah built a giant boat to save his family from the flood. By faith, Abraham left what was familiar without knowing where he was going. He stepped out with only a promise. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was able to have a child. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after an army marched around them for seven days. 
As a child, I didn't quite understand why we were always learning about faith, why, would we, why we would read these stories over and over again. But as the years passed, I soon discovered that it is only through faith that we see God's kingdom come. It is only through faith that we see the supernatural power of God released not only in the church, which is you and I, but in the lives of those around us. Hebrews 11 verse one describes faith as this, the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. It is a trust, it is a confidence and it's the foundation we need in order to acquire and receive the things of God. I've heard people refer to faith as the currency of heaven. Currency is a medium of exchange, which means that when we bring our faith to Jesus in exchange, we receive the things of heaven. The kingdom comes upon us and the supernatural power of God is outworked in our lives. This has been demonstrated all throughout history, but one of the most prominent examples is the early church. 2000 years ago, a group of people came together full of faith, believing that Jesus would do what He said He would do. And sure enough, the Spirit of God fell upon them and 3000 were added to their number. The miraculous broke out. Fast forward a number of years and Christianity ended up in influencing the entire Roman Empire, all because a group of people brought their faith to God and in exchange, the supernatural was released and His power and presence filled the city and beyond. And today I really sense in my spirit that we need to ask ourselves about our faith. As we approach Vision Sunday next week and as we begin to enter a new season for our church, we need to ask ourselves, are we using our faith? Now, I'm not talking about the time that we put our faith in Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the ongoing use of faith. You see, when we stop using our faith, we stop flowing in the supernatural. And when we stop flowing in the supernatural, please hear this, when we stop flowing in the supernatural, we lose our ability to influence the world. We become like every other regular person operating in the natural realm. Can I tell you today, we're not called to be like every other person. We're not called to operate in the natural or rely on our own ability and intellect. We're called to operate out of the supernatural power of God. We're called to be a people that walk into this world and heal the sick, drive out demons, intercede and step into warfare for others. We're here to connect people to Christ, His cause and community. We are called to prophesy over our families, prophesy over our friends, speak words of knowledge. We're here to operate out of the supernatural power of God. Have you ever wondered why the enemy attacks your faith? It's not because he wants to get you out of heaven. He attacks your faith because he wants to prevent you from being an influence. He wants to prevent you from moving in the supernatural. He doesn't want you revealing the truth about Jesus. He doesn't want you making disciples. He doesn't want you speaking truth. And so he'll do everything he can to try and attack your faith. This is why the Apostle Jude said that we need to contend for our faith. We need to fight for it because if we don't, the enemy will. And if you're gonna hear one thing out of my entire message this morning, then please hear this. God has given every single Christian a deposit of faith, but it is what we do with that faith that will determine how effective we are for the kingdom. Each one of us has a deposit of faith, but it is what we do with that faith that will determine how effective we are for the kingdom of God. Many people just assume we receive faith and that's it, that there's nothing more to be done. But the Bible speaks of this idea of going from faith to faith. 
Paul says in Romans 1 verse 17, in the Gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What Paul is saying is that we each have a deposit of faith, but it's meant to be lived out every day, maturing, developing and becoming even greater. Jesus gives us this example when He raises the widow's son from the dead who had just died. He then goes on to raise Jairus's daughter from the dead who had been dead for a couple of hours. And then days later, He raises Lazarus from the dead who had been dead for a couple of days. So even Jesus moved and progressed in faith for the miraculous. But if I was to be honest today, I would say that a lot of Christians aren't seeing the miraculous. They're not progressing in that realm of greater faith. In fact, many churches and denominations across the world have stopped experiencing the supernatural altogether. Why? One word unbelief. If you have your Bibles, why don't you come with me to Matthew chapter 17. It will come up on the screen. We'll start at verse 14. So when they, being the disciples and Jesus, came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before Him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire and into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, it seems that Jesus is contradicting Himself. On the one hand, He's telling the disciples that they had little faith and that's why he couldn't, they couldn't drive out the demon. And then on the other hand, He's telling them that all you need is little faith. In fact, as small as a mustard seed and you can move mountains, you can do the impossible. And so it seems as if it's a contradiction, but I wanna submit to you today that when it comes to this passage, the issue at hand isn't so much to do with the disciples' faith because Jesus made it very clear that even with little faith, you can move mountains. The issue was the condition of their faith. In the original language, when Jesus says to the disciples, you have so little faith, that actually translates to you have uncertain faith. Uncertainty and unbelief were the issue. He even called them an unbelieving generation. And today, if you are not experiencing the supernatural in your life, if you are not seeing the promises of God and the power of God manifest in your day to day, then I can, can I suggest that it may not be an issue of faith. It may be an issue of unbelief. An evangelist once said, instead of trying to build bigger and bigger faith, we need to stop feeding unbelief. And maybe today you're thinking, well, I don't have unbelief. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Yes, you can believe in God, but still not believe what He says. You can believe that He came to this earth incarnate. You can believe that He was raised from the dead and that He is coming again. But at the end of the day, if you do not believe what's in here, if you do not believe that His Word is truth over every single situation, then you have unbelief. It's kind of like the analogy of not putting all your eggs in one basket. 
I remember a number of years ago speaking to a young adult and he was telling me how he liked three girls all at once. He liked three different girls. I suggested as his pastor, maybe just focus on one girl. What about just pursuing just just one girl? And he said, Beck, I can't do that. I can't put all my eggs in one basket. What if, you know, what if the girl doesn't like me back? What if it doesn't work out? Hello, I need a safety net. And I just thought, oh my goodness. But that is how we can be with God. He can ask us to do something. He speaks to us through Scripture, but we still look for a safety net. We put our eggs in other baskets just in case what God says doesn't turn out. God might ask you to give a specific amount of money away, but you still keep a little bit for yourself just in case God doesn't provide. God might have spoken to you through His Word that all things work together for good, but then you get Maybe you don't get the promotion at work and so you quit just in case things didn't really turn out for good. God might ask you to pray for someone's healing, but instead of praying for them in person, you pray for them at home just in case God doesn't heal them. And I'm preaching to myself here this morning because I've been there. I will never forget, I was on a train once and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you to go up to that woman and tell her that Jesus loves her, that I love her and that her sister's gonna be okay. I started sweating as I usually do when the Holy Spirit asks me to do something like that. But do you know what I did? I waited until the train was about to stop. I ran up to her. I said, Jesus loves you. Everything's gonna be okay. Your sister's gonna be okay. And then before she could even respond, I jumped off to the platform and the doors closed and I waved goodbye. Just in case what the Holy Spirit said wasn't actually true. But this is the thing. Safety nets are just another form of unbelief. Semi-acting or not acting on what God says because we don't fully trust and believe He is who He says He is and He'll do what He says He'll do. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It doesn't mean that your faith has disappeared. But what unbelief does is it squashes your faith. It's as if it puts a blanket over your faith. And so your faith can't operate properly. And so people wonder why they can't see the power of God moving in their life or their local church community. It's because unbelief is blocking it. They wonder why they're not experiencing the promises of God. It's not because God has forgotten His Word. It's because unbelief is preventing them from receiving what is promised. The Bible tells us that Israel was unable to enter the promised land. This is, these are God's chosen people. He chose them, He brought them and delivered them out of Egypt and they still couldn't enter the promised land because of their unbelief. And I can't tell you how frustrated I get at this spirit of unbelief and doubt because it doesn't just hang around one person. It creates an environment and the power of God can't move in an unbelieving environment. This is why Jesus, when He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, had to send all the people out of the room because they were mocking Him. They were laughing at Him. And the moment He sent all of them out of the room, the little girl was raised to life. Peter did the same thing with Tabitha. He had to send all the grieving women out of the room, full of doubt, full of fear, full of unbelief. And the moment they were out of the room, the moment He got into an environment of faith, He said to Tabitha, get up, get, get up and walk. And she did, she was raised from the dead. I wonder today what kind of environment you were allowing yourselves to be in. I wonder today what kind of people you were hanging around because whether we realise it or not, the environment in which we're in will affect the flow of the supernatural in our life. It'll actually affect how much of the miraculous we see. When Jesus went back to His hometown in Nazareth, it says that He could only do but a few 
miracles because of their unbelief. Jesus was expecting to heal people. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He was willing to pour out blessing, but He couldn't operate in the supernatural power of God. This is Jesus. Not because anything was wrong with Him, but because of the posture of the people, it was an unbelieving environment. And what is so confronting about this story is that it was Jesus' hometown. It was His own household. And today, where is Jesus' household? It is here. It is us. It is the church. It is the people that are so familiar with Jesus. Nazareth was full of people that grew up with Jesus. They knew His mom. They knew His brothers. They knew His sisters. And in the same way, we can become so familiar with Jesus. Going to church every week, hearing the message, going through the prayer request, singing the worship songs, that if we're not careful, we become... We can become so familiar to the point where we're not really believing what we're singing and we're not really believing what we're hearing. We're unbelieving believers where we're just going through the motions and taking this relationship that we have for Jesus for granted, taking His presence for granted. You know, sometimes I think we need to remind ourselves that just because we didn't pay to get access to God doesn't mean that it came for free. It cost Jesus everything. It cost Him His life. And when I remind myself that Jesus willingly poured and shed His blood upon that cross so that I could get access to God, it makes me never wanna take the relationship I have with God for granted. It makes me never wanna take for granted His presence to understand how powerful and majestic and significant His presence truly is. You know, as the church, we have access to God. 24-7, anytime, anywhere, we're able to be in His presence. But I think because we know this, not only can we take His presence for granted, but we can lose that sense of desperation and hunger. And so spending time with God becomes somewhat optional. It's the same with the Bible. In Western society, we have more access to the Word of God than ever before, and yet we still struggle to read it. Why? Because we've convinced ourselves that it's optional. Oh, I just don't have time today. Oh, this week is massive. I'll, just, I'll read the Bible next week. You know, there are places all over the world, including the Middle East, even parts of China, where they're not allowed to have a Bible or they have very limited access. And so when they do get access to a Bible, you know what they do? They memorise Scripture. And you know, I often ask myself this, and I'm gonna ask it to you today. Imagine if you found out that in two weeks time, you would never have access to the Bible again, ever, for the rest of your life. You have two weeks to read that Bible. What do you think that we would be doing? I'm pretty sure we would be memorising as much Scripture as we can because we're not gonna have it for the rest of our life. But are we actually doing that today? Are we memorising Scripture? Are we getting it into our spirit? Have we forgotten how valuable and powerful it is? Have we stopped believing that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God? You know, when Jesus left Nazareth, the first thing He did was He started teaching. He went from village to village teaching the Word of God. Why? Because ignorance is the devil's playground. Where there is a lack of knowledge, it will often result in unbelief. You see, if the enemy can have you in a place of ignorance, where you don't know the promises of God and all that Christ has given you, then he can take full advantage of where you're at. He can tell you that you're always gonna be sick, 
that you're never gonna get out of your depression or anxiety or your loneliness, that you have to work harder and look better to receive love and validation. He can tell you that you'll never achieve anything great or that you'll always be in a state of confusion. But when we know the Word of God, when we have opened it up and we've read the pages of the Bible, we know that through the death and resurrection of Jesus that we have physical, spiritual and emotional healing. We know that Isaiah says we have perfect peace, that 1 Corinthians says that we have the mind of Christ, that we are accepted in the Beloved, that it doesn't matter what we look like or what we do. We are loved, we are valued and we are marked by God. And the Holy Spirit is the one to lead us into all truth. You see, when we know what's in here and we apply it to our life, that is when unbelief loses its power. And that is when faith begins to rise. You can sit in church and hear a hundred sermons, but if you don't grab a hold of the Word, if you don't grab a hold of what is in here and apply it to your life, then it has no profit. And one of the ways in which we can apply the Word to our life is to speak it out. Pastor Steve McCracken spoke about this last week, is to speak out the Word of God. Romans 10 verse 8 says this, The Word is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. This verse speaks of the idea of proclaiming our faith, professing what we believe. When we speak it, not just read it, but when we speak it out, faith is activated. You know, the more we speak it out, even if we don't feel like we believe it, it's not all based on our feelings, but even if we don't fully believe what we're saying, if we say it enough, it will eventually go from our mouth to our heart. That is when unbelief is pushed out, faith is activated and it wraps around that Word. It wraps around that promise till it becomes a reality. You know, recently, Jackson, my husband and I, as we're praying, we've been speaking out the prophetic promise over our church of unexpected favour, unusual miracles and so every time we pray, unexpected favour, unexpected favour. And the other day we were moving house and we booked the removalists and Jack took a day of work to meet them and they never showed up. Uh, Jack waited an hour and then two hours and then three hours and so forth and they never showed up. And so we ended up booking another company the next day. And then we found out the original, uh, original removalists that we had booked were unprofessional. There were reviews saying that they were abusive, misleading. They would overcharge. They would damage furniture. And I said to Jack, this is unexpected favour. I know it doesn't seem like a lot, but it's unexpected. We weren't expecting that favour, that protection from that company. And you know, this is just a small example of what Jackson and I are seeing in our life recently from unusual miracles in our finances to God's hand over Jackson's work. And I believe it's because we've been speaking out the prophetic promise of unexpected favour and unusual miracles over our life. And because we've been speaking it out, it's reached our heart, it's wrapped around the promise and it's becoming a reality in our life. Now, I know even as I'm speaking, there are people here today and you've been holding on to a particular word from God. You've been standing on a specific promise in Scripture, but it doesn't seem to be a reality in your life. Can I say I have been there? We have all in fact been there where we might have had an experience that made us question our faith or maybe a certain situation didn't turn out how we expected it to or that promise, that prophetic word seems so far away. I get it. I've experienced it. But one thing that I've come to learn is this, is that we do not interpret the Word of God through the lens of our experience, but we interpret our experience through the lens of God's Word. The moment we interpret what's in here through our experience, 
we get disappointed. We're setting ourselves up for disappointment because the interpretation is fallible. But when we interpret our experience, what we are going through, through the lens that God is good, through the lens that there is no evil in Him, through the lens that He is faithful to His Word, that His ways are higher, that His thoughts are higher, it's the moment that we can say, no matter what we face or whatever we go through, that God is in control and that our hope and our expectancy and our faith in God remains steadfast to interpret our experience through the lens of God's Word. You see, Isaiah 40 verse 31 says this, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. You know, that word wait translated in Hebrew is actually hope or expect. So those who hope in the Lord, those who expect in the Lord shall renew their strength. The biblical concept of waiting isn't about just sitting down and twiddling your thumbs and wishing something would happen. It's about living every day in expectation. What is it that you are expecting God for? Are you expecting Him to move in your situation? Are you expecting Him to show up regardless of timeline? Are you expecting that His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven? And I really sense to communicate today, do not lose hope. The enemy is out to steal, kill and destroy your hope because he knows that not only is hope, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but he knows that faith is the confidence in what we hope for. In other words, what we hope for and expect is the very thing that inspires our faith. Without hope, there is no faith. And in the day and age in which we are living in, we cannot afford to keep operating out of a place of hopelessness or a lack of expectancy. We cannot afford to keep living in fear and unbelief for if we truly want to see God's kingdom come, if we truly wanna see heaven released and this world transformed for the glory of God, then we need to be living from a place of faith and expectancy. You see, your faith is not just about you, but it is about the people around you. Your friends, your family, your community, it is not a coincidence that they're in your life. God has brought them to you so that through you, they may receive the things of heaven. You see, God hasn't created you to be a container. Faith isn't just about receiving from God for you and only you. Yes, we receive blessing. Yes, we receive favour. But you have been created to be a dispenser so that what you are receiving from heaven is released into the lives around you. If the band could please come up. If we're gonna release heaven, if we're gonna live out our faith, not only do we speak out the Word of God and proclaim the message of faith we have, but we also need to put that very faith into action. You know, I was speaking to Phil and Ev uh, Granger the other day. They lead our best gen ministry. And I tell you what, they are people of action. Yes, they proclaim their faith. Yes, they speak out the promises of God and what they believe in, but they take action. They step out in faith. You know, whether that's dropping off a care package to a neighbour, whether it's offering in person to pray for someone in their community or inviting people over to dinner to intentionally encourage them. They're continually stepping out in faith. Now, it doesn't mean that it's always easy. It doesn't mean that there might not be moments of fear and doubt, but they push through anyway. And because they've pushed through and they've stepped out in faith, they're seeing an incredible move of God in their community. You know, I remember the time where I started my first life group. Years ago, I started an all girls life group and I felt the Holy Spirit say, Beck, I want you to prophesy over each girl. I freaked out. I was full of fear, pretty much unbelief as well. I was like, I can't do that. I've never prophesied. What if I say the wrong thing? What if it's not of God? 
But I pulled myself together and I said, you know what, if the Holy Spirit is asking me to do this, then He is going to come through. And so I stood up and we all stood up and I started prophesying over the first girl. And as I was prophesying her, God was already speaking to me about the next girl. And so I moved on and He filled my mouth. And again, I start sweating when the Holy Spirit starts moving through me. And I hadn't felt the heat of the Holy Spirit like that for a very long time. One girl was delivered on the spot. The next girl was healed. And by the end of our life group, we couldn't stop praising God for all that He was doing, for His goodness, for the words that He was sharing. You see, in that moment, as I stepped out, I went from faith to faith. Every time you step out and trust God, whether that's sharing the Gospel with a friend, whether it's starting a life group or serving in an area of church or giving someone a word in your university or workplace, praying for healing. Every time you step out, your faith develops. It becomes greater and greater. You go from faith to faith. Come on, why don't you stand with me? You know, most of the time when God asks us to step out, it doesn't exactly make sense. It seems to be a little bit abnormal, sometimes even illogical. This is because the way God operates is different from the way the world operates. We are different. I mean, all we have to do is look around at our society, at the values and morals that they stand for, and we know that we are different. Our faith is countercultural, but that's what sets us apart from a lost and a broken world. We're not meant to fit in. And when I read all about the people in the Bible that stepped out in faith, they didn't fit in either. In fact, sometimes what they did seemed completely nuts. Noah built a giant boat before any sight of rain. He was pretty much living in the desert. Moses led the Israelites to the Red Sea for their deliverance and all he had with him was a stick. Joshua convinced thousands of people to march around the walls of an entire city seven times. David offered to fight a human giant with a slingshot. And Mary said yes to giving birth to a baby as a virgin. If you really think about it, these circumstances aren't normal. And I'm sure many people laughed and mocked them. But you know, as each one stepped out in faith, God supernaturally came through. Noah's family were rescued from the flood. The Red Sea parted and the Israelites walked through. The walls of Jericho fell down and Joshua began to take over a city. David killed Goliath and Mary gave birth to our Saviour Jesus Christ, who I might say went to a cross in faith and resurrected from the grave three days later. You see, our God is a supernatural God. We have not been created to fit in. We have been created to stand out and impact this world. Yes, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are on mission and our calling is to go and see God's Kingdom come and His will be done to release heaven wherever we go. We are called to go from faith to faith. Can I say that the only way we are gonna reach this city, the only way we are gonna see the vision of life, unlimited church outworked in this city and in our lives is through our faith.